Hello. Welcome to this week's episode of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast. My name is Jennifer Apple, and this week I talked to casting director Erica S. Bream. Erica is in her 22nd year as a film, TV, and theater casting director, and she shares her journey towards this newer chapter in her career as a Southeast-based casting director. We definitely get into the weeds around the pros and cons of self-tapes, how unrepresented actors can be seen, the differences between co-stars, guest stars, series regulars, and the importance of doing the work and trusting your craft. And Erica also shares how she remembers actors over the years, how casting directors are, in fact, our advocates, and the reminder that casting directors are also humans. Enjoy. Bream. Lovely to see you. you. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. I am so grateful that you have made the time to come into this land over here with us. Um, Hailing all the way from, we just talked about this Asheville. Yes. Yes. The Kakalak. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, people who are actually from here, I feel like I just, I I totally just um, stole it. So you've been there for enough years now that I feel like it's kind of like you earn your stripes. If you've been in New York for 10 years, it's like you've seen enough that you can say like New York is home. I wonder yeah. I feel like Asheville can't be that long before you're like, no, here. I mean, everybody hears a transplant. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's very few actual natives, but, um, but yeah, we, uh, we're here, we're here in Asheville and it's wonderful. We love it. I love it. Um, mm-hmm. well, for anybody who does not know you, who are you today? Who am I today? Um, the that is such an interesting question because I feel like uh, I'm gonna lead with something that I don't normally lead with. Great. Um, but I am a mom who's getting over a cold um, that I received from my children mm-hmm. lovingly. Um, I, I am a casting director. Um, I am a, a career consultant and coach. And I am somebody who occasionally spends too much time using their thumbs to post on Instagram. Which I think is like how I came to really be like, you must be on this podcast because (laughs) you've been such a giver of information. And this is a podcast that really tries to give of information that frankly, I didn't have access to, which is really, you know, I just want other people to have it before I did. (laughs) um, And so I think that's why I was like, we must, this is, thank you. Um, But also I love how you led with something that maybe isn't your usual. That's why I asked the question the way I ask it, because I think that's an opportunity for people to, you know, put into the space what they're really feeling initially and like being more present with oneself, I think is arguably what we're all trying to do. Yeah. And I, you know, this, the, you know, things are busy and I'm, you know, I'm a working parent and my husband um, is the full-time parent, which is great and wonderful. But when kids get sick and grownups get sick, sometimes you are simply parenting, momming, resting, yeah. trying so hard yeah. to get over it, yeah. to like go back to some semblance of normalcy. So yeah. this this week, both, both kids uh, went down with this really delicious head cold and, um, you know, both had uh, a, a solid day of, of just misery. And, and I kind of stopped doing what I normally do. And I just yeah sat and snuggled and watched Daniel Tiger with them and fed them liquids. And that really was the the priority this week. And, you know, it's nice to, it's nice to be able to do it. It's nice to be able to have the flexibility to do it. And good on you for being able to recognize that 
priorities can shift, you know? I think like offering oneself grace all over, especially in this like post-COVID pandemic, but not – but like back to normalcy, but what is that? Like all of sure. the, the grace just really required to simply be a human, let alone somebody who is working. And I would yeah. imagine let alone somebody who is working with little children who are coming yes. home and bringing diseases. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it's so interesting because it, I was in LA forever as a casting person and it never in a billion years would we have thought we could do our jobs from home. Like yeah. never. Yeah. When I moved here, um, it was terrifying to try to figure out how I was going to make it work. At the time, my oldest son was only five months old huh. and I was like, I, I just could not figure it out. So to be able to have a job nowadays where you can work from home, you can be present for that stuff. You can be present for the snuggles and continue working yeah. is really a lifestyle gift that I just I just never knew it was possible. Mm. Um, never envisioned it. Be, I mean, that's part of why we left Los Angeles is that, you know, we we thought we were going to have to put our kids in daycare forever yeah. and ever and ever and never see them because we were working so many hours in um, our respective workplaces and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, so it is, it, it, it truly is a gift. Um, a t- technology can be very frustrating, of course, yeah. um, and scary <laughs> sometimes, but it, it's also... I mean, it, it has really changed lives, and I think a lot of people, um, especially especially parents, young parents, are are seeing what is possible. You know, you don't have to spend all of your time in an office now. You can Correct. spend time working, and then you can stop and take a break and go have dinner with your family, tuck your kids yeah. in, go yeah. back to work if you need to. And you know, I mean, it is, um, it is, it's dreamy. I have to say. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well, tell me a little bit about how you got to where you are career-wise. I think for me in this space, it's always very important for people to just have context so that um, whatever information follows comes from a space of knowledge. (laughs) Like, oh, yeah, (laughs) this is where the person is coming from. So I'm curious how you uh, got to casting generally, but also more specifically what you're doing now. So I – I wanted to be a casting director, if you can believe it or not. Um, when I when I was like um, 16, 17, like getting ready to um, apply for college, mm-hmm. um, I, I made a, a hard right turn away from wanting to be a doctor <laughs> and being like, nah, I don't want to do that anymore. Um, and I was like, I, I had loved acting. It, was, it, had, it had been in all my high school musicals and plays mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but I didn't want to be an actor. Um, I, I really, really struggled to audition for those plays and musicals. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, a, about as low stakes as it gets. And I just, I, I just was not interested in, um, taking it seriously yeah. as a profession. Um, but I really loved collaborating. I've always loved theater since I was a really teeny tiny child. And um, so I, I became interested in casting because I thought, well, this ha- must have something to do with acting. And um, so I I decided to apply to film schools. I, you know, um, graduated high school. I started interning immediately. I actually started interning in, in Manhattan in New York City. Um, at a talent agency, they hooked me up with a casting office to help out one day. That one day was the day where that completely solidified my passion for this craft because I was like, this is the most fun thing I've ever done in my life. And I just sat in the waiting room. I, all I did was be in the waiting room wow. with the actors. I, I, and it was a commercial casting. It wasn't, you know, theatrical or anything, but it was it was so fun. It was so fun. And the energy was amazing. And I it was an unconditioned unair conditioned New York high rise building yeah. and in July and I just loved every minute of it. So 
so I started interning. Um, I went to USC for film school, um, and I started interning uh, between semesters between between my years, and um, just went to different talent agencies, went to studios, went to um, independent casting offices. These are things that largely you can't really do today. Somebody was asking me how you get into casting now, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, the CSA has created a, a training and education program, which didn't exist when when I was getting into it. And they're like, oh, I thought everybody just interned, and I was like, yeah, we used to, yeah. um, but they don't let you work for free anymore, and and people can't afford to pay interns. So, um, so I had a lot of unpaid internships. And then when I graduated, um, I got my very first real casting assistant job on a TV show, um, with, uh, my, um, very distant cousin, uh, if you can believe it or not, I'm like a a Nepo baby adjacent, I guess. Great. Um, (laughs) um, and, uh, from there, literally every single job led to the next for me. Um, I worked with, with Ronnie Yeskel for about a year. Um, and we had been working on, um, a couple of CBS projects. Those, my jobs with Ronnie ended and I was looking for a job and somebody at CBS was like, Hey, we have an opening in our casting department here at the network. Do you want to come work here? Mm-hmm. And I was like, stability. Great. Sign me up. Um, went there for a year after that, once that I was coming up on a year, um, there and and the the agreement I had made when I went to work there was that I would work for a minimum of a year okay. um, at CBS. So I was coming up on a year and I was ready to go. And um, uh, April Webster was looking for a new assistant or associate on a CBS show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I called there and I was like, "Hi, I work at CBS and I know your show really well and you know whatever." And they interviewed me and I I ended up that with that job work with April was relatively consistent, I would say, but things would end. And then I would go work with one of her friends and co-casting directors on something else. And so literally every job led from one to the next to the next until I left, until I left, I had my child and I was like, I'm leaving Los Angeles. Here I go. Um, and we moved out here to the Southeast and, um, it was really, really, really hard, I would say, for the first six months. And I always tell actors this. Actors are always asking me, like, should I move markets? Should I should I change? Should I go from New York to L.A.? Should I go from L.A. to Atlanta? You know, what, what should I do? And first of all, I, I always I always give them the, the, the sort of broad strokes of the different markets. But then at the end of the day, I always tell them the same thing, which is you have to decide where you want to live when you are not acting. That part. That part. That's the most important part, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because they all have pros and cons. So, so where do you want to be when you're not acting, right? That's mm-hmm. that is that is the end goal. And the other thing I remind them of is that when you change markets, you're effectively starting at zero. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're not starting your craft over, you're not starting your technique over, but you're starting your relationships at zero. Yeah. And as somebody who worked and had a lot of really wonderful. Um, relationships in Los Angeles for my 17 years that I was there. I took meetings before I left. I told everybody I knew that I was moving. Please hire me in the Southeast. I got here and it was crickets. It was absolute crickets. And I thought, oh, what have I done? Mm -hmm. Um, I have given up a really successful career that I loved um, in a city that I loved with friends that I adore that I've had since I was 18 years old. And I have no friends here. Um, we can't afford to furnish this big house that we bought. Um, I have an infant that I have not yet figured out how to parent properly. Um, and it was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. And it took a lot of time. And I, I, 
my my problem, my ego problem, was that I wasn't expecting that. I thought it was going to be easy. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be so easy. I, you know, all the people who I met with, all of my studio execs and everybody who I met with before I left all said the same thing, which was so nice. They said, oh, we love you so much. We can't wait to work with you down there. And I assumed like, cool. Done. Yeah. The end. That's all I got to do. Um, and, and that's not what you got to do because, of course, there were other Southeast cast directors that have been here for a lot longer than yeah. me who had those relationships and were sort of at top of mind when the studios were thinking, okay, we need a Southeast person. So I spent a lot of time, first of all, getting over myself. That that was a, a real soul searching kind of moment. Um, and, you know, just trying to do different things. That's sort of when I started coming up with the idea of doing, I started doing online classes then. Um, could not sell them to save my life. People were like, what? You want to, you, you want to do this online? Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was, it was a special time to try to <laughs> sell those. Um, and uh, so I tried other things, I you know, just just different things. And along the way, I tried sort of reinvigorating my relationships, my L.A.-based relationships, because those are the people who hire us. So my studio execs in, in L.A. And sure enough, with a sort of continuous reminder, one of my execs who happened to be a friend, he had actually he and I had worked together with April a billion years ago, called me up and he was like, hey, I have a show. I want you to meet on it. And I was like, okay, yes. great. Yeah. Um, and it happened to be with producers that I had worked with in when I was in Los Angeles. And so it was, it was sort of a smooth transition into that one, um, which was great. But then everything kind of stopped again. And I had to do the same thing where I would mm-hmm. email my casting executives every six months or so and be like, hi, I'm still here in the Southeast. Mm-hmm. Here's my current resume. Can't wait to work with you. I would go back to LA twice a year and try to take meetings and, you know, remind people that I existed. Yeah. Um, and it took a lot of time. And honestly, that I did not. So we moved in 2017. Um, I did not work consistently down here as a Southeast casting director until 2020, wow. believe it or not. Yeah. So, so there, um, you know, when I was in LA, everything was one to the next, to the next, to the next, all through relationships and, you know, whatever. And here it really is sort of restarting um, my reputation as a Southeast based casting director. And so it has been a bumpier, more inconsistent road, um, which has been stressful. Yeah. But it has, also been incredibly rewarding. Um, I have gotten to work on so many different types of projects down here, largely when I was in LA, because I was working with a lot of the same people. We were working with a lot of the same producers, which often live in the same genres and stuff like that, which is great. And I loved it. But here, like I'm doing a comedy and then I'm doing a feature and then I'm doing a sci-fi thing and then I'm doing a fantasy thing. And it is, it's all different. I get to work with different LA casting directors that I didn't necessarily get to do when I was there because I was working with the same people over and over and over again, who I, again, I loved. Yeah. Uh, I chose to work with them over and over and over yeah. again, but it's fun to have, um, to change it up and, and get to meet other peers. Um, and it's so great to get to know this market. The actors in this market are wonderful. Um, I love working with, with the different reps down here. And, you know, I really have found some, a lot of peace and happiness being a Southeast casting director, um, That is just, you know, when I was, when I moved here and I was struggling so hard, I just, I was like, is this ever going to happen for me again? Or do I need a brand new career? Yeah. Um, And it's, these last couple of years have been incredibly um, 
fulfilling. You know, my cup cup feels very full. Thank you for sharing all of that. <laughs> that was a long answer. I'm so sorry. No, don't apologize. I think, you know, it's coming from an actor perspective on my end over here, and I guess I wear many hats too, so it's not exclusively actor, but, you know, we often forget, and I'll speak very generally, which is not sure. fair, but we often forget that people in the industry who aren't just actors also go through bumps. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and that yeah. casting directors are more often than not freelance people as well. Yeah. And their, the hustle of that is similar, albeit different, but similar in that relationships really matter and mm -hmm. fostering those relationships in an authentic and truthful and transparent way is necessary. And that yeah. sometimes it's not always linear and that mm -hmm. sometimes big life shifts like change the way that things go, even though you thought that it was going to go a certain way, or even when like you thought it was going to go a certain way, it doesn't go that way. I mean, sure. all of those things are relevant not just for performers. And so yeah. thank you for shedding light uh, yeah. to that, you know, so that yes. we can be reminded that casting directors are humans. <laughs> We're human beings. We have uh -huh. to meet on jobs. I mean, yep. it's not it's not quite the same as an audition, but we do have to meet on jobs. We, yeah. we don't always win those jobs. We yeah. can get our avail checked and then nothing happened. Correct. We can get fired. Like yeah. all of the things that actors experience, we experience too. It's, it's a different scale, of course. Yeah. Um, where I'm not, you know, I'm not meeting on a project multiple times a week the way an actor would audition multiple times a week. Um, but we are, we're independent, much like actors. We also, you know, casting directors, um, they didn't have the ability to be in a union until about 20 years ago. Right. Um, and some of us who don't live in LA, New York are not in the union, not by choice, but because we're not supported by our locals mm -hmm. um, here. There's not enough of us. Um, the Broadway casting directors are not unionized, which they've been fighting for for years now. So, you know, again, the, the, I, I think a lot of actors think of, of casting directors as these, um, almost akin to producers. And I think part of, part of that is that we're, you know, we work with all above the line talent, for sure, but we are paid below the line yeah. and treated below the line. There was a Playbill <laughs> article that just came out um, about Broadway minimums, mm -hmm. um, which is such an interesting timing considering, you know, the union is going through negotiations right now. Sure. And it's just like, well, look at that. And there's this one video um, going viral uh, at the moment, breaking down like all of once you've paid for your rent and once you paid oh, for your Metro sure. card and once you paid for your Con Ed bill and once you paid for Spectrum because they have a monopoly and once you paid for this and once you paid for that, this is – and your your reps if you have both an agent and a manager. Right. Like this is actually your takeaway and how unsustainable any of that is. And that's talking at like a Broadway minimum rather. Sure. Like it's just – and that's like a Broadway contract. Forget an off-Broadway contract. Forget a regional right. contract. Forget <laughs> – I mean, like, we're not even – it's just really mind-boggling right. to think about all of that. But I'd love to kind of jump in to a lot of questions that I feel like many of us have sure. um, and see if we can kind of just, like, play ping-pong around all of this ping -pong in no away. particular order. Serve Great. it up, Jennifer. I'm ready. Amazing. So this is my first – question of the many that live in my brain. Let's say you have an artist, an actor specifically, who is unrepresented 
and mm-hmm. they are really hoping to delve more into on-camera work specifically. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm talking about the New York market over here, you have, you know, EPAs and ECCs where you can kind of advocate for yourself and go and show up and sign up for these things and wait, which that's sure. a whole other conversation about the system. But uh-huh. <laughs> let's you're trying to do more TV and film and on-camera work. What do you recommend for artists who are not represented, first and foremost, to have access to these types of opportunities and or to begin like building these relationships with casting directors or projects so that eventually people are thinking of them for those things? Sure. So without a, an agent or a manager, you will largely not have access to some of the bigger film and TV roles. Of course we do open calls and those are always gonna go out wide and I encourage you when you see them to to take part in them. Um, We have found a lot of very interesting people in open calls and if we haven't cast them, we've certainly thought of them for other things and maybe even helped them find a rep if we thought this is is a person who who really should be seen by people. Are you putting those open calls when you put them out on Actors Access? Are you putting them out on casting networks? Like where are you putting them? So um, for me, I, largely we spend our time on Actors Access and Breakdown mm-hmm. Services, which are, it's the same company. The Breakdown yeah. is the casting agent and manager side. Actors Access, of course, is Actors Access. Um, the Occasionally for me, I will also put out an open call through social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't generally use casting networks. Um, a lot, I feel like backstage, I love backstage for all of the articles and resources they provide, but I don't use it as a casting resource. Mm -hmm. Um, I know some markets more so New York do, um, but I don't. So yeah, I would say actors access, that's where they go and, and, or social media. So following, you know, casting people on social media is never a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Um, the, but largely the unrepresented actor will not have access to your typical film and TV role, mostly because we cannot put those out on Actors Access for every single role. We would triple our submissions mm-hmm. because actors who do have reps would still submit themselves. Yeah. So it's it becomes very, very redundant and you can't, you just can't go through all that stuff. Part of what um, we use our agents and managers for too is sort of um, a, the, they're sort of the first line of uh, for line of defense is like a terrible phrase to use here, but they're they're the first people to see an actor spot the talent and be like, we're going to sign this person. So we're trusting that what they're bringing to the table is really really worthy, right? Mm-hmm. So so we're we're going to rely on that too. Um, that said we're looking for good talent wherever we can find it. Right. Right. So we're looking for it in a play, in a showcase, um, in a short film. Um, I, sometimes I have found actors that I really love on other people's reels. Yeah. So it's, it's an actor's reel and I'm like, wait, who is this person? And I can track them through IMD because the project's on IMDb and whatever. Um, the, 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 the one piece of advice I would give to any actor who's not represented is you have to make sure we can find you. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure you have contact information somewhere available online, whether it's on your actor's access, it's on IMDb, it's on your website, wherever. Make it so we can find you. I, oftentimes, actors will not have a rep. They'll be between reps, whatever. And I'll be like, oh, what happened to so-and-so? And we'll try to track them down. And because they don't have an email or a phone number or whatever, our only recourse is to send them a email and never know if they're going to open yeah. it or not. Um, so make sure we can find you if you don't have reps because casting doesn't forget 
really good actors. It doesn't matter where we found you. It doesn't matter how we came across you. We're going to remember and we're going to want to track you down. So just make it easy for us to do that. Make it so that we aren't having to tweet at you and hope that somebody who knows you sees it and is like, here's a, here's a thing that I think yeah. it's you. Is this you? And you know. Have you been using the same monologue for years and could use a new piece? Are you applying to BA, BFA, or MFA programs and need a monologue for that process? Are you someone who simply has no idea where to search for monologues? Well, lucky for you, I do what is called monologue sourcing, in which I find monologues specifically chosen for you. So many artists use pieces based off external labeling for types and roles rather than find pieces sharing who they really are and what speaks to them. So we'll meet virtually together. You share who you are as a human, what you love, your dislikes, your values, beliefs, family, friends, love, politics, you name it. I will help guide you through this. And then I go off on my own and find you monologues chosen just for you that fit like a glove. I've been doing monologue sourcing for years as an extension of the coaching I do with artists, and I have found pieces in this way for over hundreds of artists thus far. So if you are someone who wants to feel empowered about the monologues you bring into rooms and use for auditions, I would love to help you find them. And because you are a dedicated listener of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast, I want to provide you with a custom link to an exclusive rate when you check out today. Head to empoweredartistcollective.com slash podcast promo to register. That's empoweredartistcollective.com slash podcast promo right now. I cannot wait to help you find monologues you absolutely adore. We've heard so often, like, casting will remember, casting will remember. What does that mean for you? Is it that you have a now, I would imagine, virtual, like, folder of every single person that's ever auditioned, that's ever come through your desk? Is it more just, like, you in your brain have, like, a gorgeous Rolodex of, like, categorizing people by certain things and you just, like, have great recall? What is your process with remembering? It's both. It's both. I'm going to have to say for most casting directors as well, because we do like the, the the really yummy, yummy performances are lodged there. Mm -hmm. um, they might be bits and pieces. So I'll be like, okay, the, this guy I read for this, th for this particular, I can remember the project. He read for this project. He read for this role in this project. Um, he was six foot four. He had really icy blue eyes and um, uh, he had red hair. And I can sort of either get, feed that information to my associate or assistant who worked on that project with me. And they can be like, oh, it was so-and-so. Or I can be like, okay, it was this project, this role. And I can go through my virtual mm -hmm. library and, and find that person that way. But um, we, so, so we have both of those, those ways of doing it. The nice thing about self-tapes is that it's so easy to have a virtual library of all of our previous auditions um, back in the day back in my old days of starting, um, you know, uh, we kept, we, we did keep all those auditions, but they were on like VHS yeah. or mini D. I mean, I remember we had, we, I used to cart these friggin' mini DVs from office to office to office and to play them back, oh you had God. to put them into the camera, hook the camera up to the VCR, yeah. fast forward on the camera, find what you need to find and then maybe dub it onto a VHS to be able to show it to, oh I mean, it was just a whole fucking thing. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> You know, now it's so easy. I've got I've got my entire history and they exist in the cloud 
whether it's on casted ecocast or it's in my own dropbox folders or whatever um and it's it's great it's it's really easy to track down and be reminded of somebody that way mm -hmm. um but we we never ever forget the, the the way a performance made us feel we can remember it forever i mean i have so many stories of remember i don't remember the exact dialogue i don't maybe don't even remember the actor's name but i can picture their face i can picture the thing that made me feel something. Yeah. And then if I need to backtrack it to figure out who that person actually is, then then I can do it that way. But um, but I, I was actually just telling somebody about a performance that I saw, gosh, 10 years ago. It was it was almost exactly 10 years ago um, in a play. And I will never, ever, ever forget this performance. And I yeah. remember specifically the thing that made me feel something and be shocked and surprised and whatever. And I can remember, I can remember this actor's body language. Mm. Like I remember the way he was standing. Like it was so, it's such a visceral memory. So, you know, that's the thing is that we remember that stuff. Yeah. We yeah. do. Part of our job. You mentioned self-tapes, and so mm -hmm. I want to get into it because this is this is the way of the future in many respects. I think the conversation around in-person versus mm -hmm. self-tapes and how many actors, you know, crave the in-person versus the self-tape. I know for myself the other week I was in person for like a first round audition, which has been so rare. It's oh more like if yes. I had a callback than maybe, sure. but the first round, and I remember sitting in, uh, was it Pearl Studios and like even just walking in there, the energy yeah. surrounding me, I was like, oh no, 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 no. Like <laughs> my body wasn't ready for that. Um, and just sitting in like the holding area, I guess, with like all these other actors and everyone's in the same boat. So there was some, some beautiful camaraderie around all of us being like, well, first round, who knew? Uh -huh. And, uh -huh. um, I was literally given the note in the room, like a reminder, like reminding you, you're not in a box. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. I have an MFA in acting <laughs> like, <laughs> and I'm being told that I'm quote unquote can move. small or that I can move. And I was like, Thank you so much. Because arguably this director could have just been like, wow, this person like only acts for film, which are like my entire sure. background is not in that at all. Sure, but it's just sure. like the forgetting the muscle of like, oh, I'm in person and you're able to give me this note in real time that I can be like, oh my God, thank you. Praise be. Yes. Now I can enjoy my actual human body in real time and remember that it's not just this little square. So right. the conversation obviously a around like what is better, what is worse? What are we connecting more? We, we miss the people, we miss the notes, sure. that part. And then also just generally self tapes as a medium for networking and having relationships that you have zero actual feedback from the other side. That is sure. a conversation. Sure. So the, um, you know, the, there, there's pros and cons to both. And yeah. I, I think the people who are, um, very vocal about missing in-person auditions, um, that, they, they, of course they miss in-person auditions. It's, it, it, it is a collaborative experience. you get to show up and act and get a maybe, I mean, maybe get a note, but yeah. possibly get a note and work with somebody. Um, you don't have to think about tech stuff. You, um, um, can get sort of immediate feedback, maybe even if it's just a like, great, thanks, yeah. you know, um, but you also weren't guaranteed those things. You weren't guaranteed a redirect. You weren't guaranteed anything more than a, a sort of very tepid. Thanks. Have a good one. Correct. 
you know, um, you could sit in the waiting room for hours. You could spend hours getting there, schlepping. You would have to cover shifts. You, you know, there's all all kinds of pros and cons. Um, same thing with self tapes. Pros and cons, right? There, everybody. I think everybody knows the cons. It, it, it the tech stuff is is a major learning curve. The um, finding a reader is stressful. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm like, yeah, can I teach my dog to speak? Like, where are we at now? <laughs> I know. the only thing that lives in this space with me. Like, I mean, yeah. I get it. I get it. Um, the lack of feedback is is really um, troubling. Um, but it also allows for uh, a lifestyle that was never possible before, yeah. right? It allows you to go on vacation and not miss an opportunity. Yeah. Um, it allows people who have suffer from major audition nerves to audition more fully without that getting in the way. Um, it allows for you to have a, a more stable job that pays your bills. Um, it allows you to be present for your children. Um, it allows you to audition even if you know you have a contagious illness. <laughs> um, you know, there's so many things, right? So so again, pros and cons to both. I, I think auditioning is not a perfect system. It's never been a perfect system. Um, I don't foresee it ever becoming a perfect yeah. system. Um, it is simply, you know, something that we are always going to have pros and cons to whatever it looks like. That yeah. That is my personal opinion on it. Um, for me, the, uh, you know, I think a lot of actors miss simply the validation of the the in the room experience, like like you were talking about, right? Just Just being reminded that you can act and move around and whatever. And it's like, you, you know, you don't, your dog is not telling you that, you know, you're, you're not, you're not getting that feedback. Yeah. Um, because you're thinking about all of the other things that you're doing with the self tape. So, and I think sometimes, um, even just the validation of a casting director smiling back at you and being like, thank you. That was mm -hmm. great. Is, is you're not getting right. Correct. You're uploading your tape into the void. You aren't hearing anything. Um, if you're lucky, your agent or manager will reach out and be like, Hey, great tape. Um, if you're really lucky, you'll get a pin or a callback or a something or a booking even from casting, but that's all the feedback you get. And I, I understand the frustration around that. It, I, I totally get it. Actors are not meant to act to nobody. You're meant to act to an audience, yeah. right? Like you're, you're missing that. Um, and I think that's why some people choose to go to a self tape studio or they, you know, choose to, to find that because they are looking to recreate the experience of collaborating and, and getting sort of some sort of feedback from, from the person opposite them. Yeah. And I understand all of it. I understand all of it. That said, of course, I don't see self-taping going away. Yeah. Um, and I think the best thing that we can do as collaborators is, is do better for each other. Right. So, so yes, I think there are things that casting can do to, to help actors through the process. Um, in a way that feels a, a bit more collaborative as opposed to here's the instructions go, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think there are ways for actors to engage with casting directors a little bit more fully, even though we're not together in the same space. In what way? Like, how could they do that? So on every single um, self-tape uh, request I send out, I put my email address in there and I say, if the actors have any questions, they are welcome to reach out to me. And the number of people who take me up on that is like 0.003%. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when they are taking me up on, on it, it's simply to ask about a slate or a Well, label. I think it's most – we've – so many of us have been taught and arguably I think 
maybe I don't fall fully into this category because I, I don't play by those rules often, but um, to, you know, like, quote unquote, stay in your lane or like, oh, well, if you have, sure. your, if you have your reps, then they're going to be the ones who are like talking for you and be like the middle person. And so you don't want to overstep. But I think there's also the assumption that nobody has the time. You know, I think there's a lot that's going into play that for better or for worse is just the way that we're coming from it. Yes. No, of course. I I mean, I I totally understand. And I know actors have the experience of their, of reaching out to the rep saying, Hey, can you ask casting this question for me? And the rep saying, no, 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 don't bother casting. Truly that. Right. And I like, I, I know I hear it from actors. They tell me about it. And I've actually talked to an agent where I was like, um, she was like, it's so funny that you put your email address in all of the instructions. We delete that before we send it on to our actors. And I'm like, why? You're like, I wouldn't have put it there if I didn't what? want them to know it. Like, like, like it, I put it there for a reason. She's like, well, we don't want them to bother you. And I'm like, but they don't, they don't yeah. is the thing is that, you know, like, but that, but that's the thing is that if I'm putting it out there, I am, I am, I'm reaching out a hand saying, don't be afraid to collaborate with me. If there's something that is going to be useful to you that you need some guidance on. Um, and, and people just don't, I think because they were taught not to, or, or maybe berated Correct. not to, you know, but, it, but all that does is put casting up on a pedestal makes, makes us sort of unhuman for actors, which is what makes actors so mad at us about yeah. stuff. And that is not helpful to anybody. So, so it is a, it's, it really is a catch 22. And again, I, I understand where actors are coming from and, and you want to be professional, but it's not a test. You know, it's the same thing as when, when an actor would walk in the room for a live audition. And before we started, we'd be like, do you have any questions? It's not a test. It's not a, like, how smart can you be? Can you ask a really intelligent question? So it's clear that you um, are engaged yeah. on this, you know, whatever it's, it's not a test. It really is a, it's a buffer between high and are you ready to start? Mm-hmm. Right. So if you don't have a question, you don't have to ask a question. But if you do have a question, we want you to feel like you can. Um, I actually was just sort of counseling another actor on this. This is a, this is an actor who's who's been active for a really long time in Los Angeles. Every all of us casting actors in LA know this person. We love him. He's he's one of he's one of the like really big heart. He's the kind of person who like we would always see for live auditions, mm-hmm. right? And he's struggling with the self tape thing, much like everybody else. And I was reminding him, I was like, I was like, you know, don't be afraid to collaborate. I was like, everybody in town knows you. Everybody knows you. And so that means if we are asking you to tape, we are excited to see your version of it. And if you're missing that collaboration, it's okay for you to reach out to us. We know you're not going to waste our time. We know you. And even for actors who we don't know, as long as you're not asking a question that is going to waste our time, we're not going to be mad about it. We aren't. If it's something that is truly missing, that's really going to help you. Don't be afraid to ask. If you're asking me a question that I, that I clearly spelled out in the instructions, we spend so much time putting those instructions together. That feels a little like you simply aren't following directions, yeah. right? So, so again, you want to make sure, can you answer this question for yourself, given all of the information you have? And if you can't, do what you would have done in the room and ask your question, Yeah, you know, and, um, you know, self-taping has become so fast paced and, and, and truly the humanity has been stripped out of the audition process because we're not together. You're not seeing us. And, and it, like I said, it has really dehumanized casting, which as we've all seen has erupted into this, this (laughs) major, um, discussion, anger, um, um, experience. Um, but 
we're still the same people. We're still human beings trying to do a job. And when you succeed, so do we. Right. So we want you to do well, right? We're, we're not trying to make this harder on you. Yeah. We are expecting you to have learned how to do it by now. Yeah. You know, whatever that looks like for you. Yeah. It, you know, again, I, I think cast directors have tried over the last several weeks, especially to reiterate that, that the number one technical goal is simply that we need to be able to see you and hear you clearly. Yeah. Right. Well, let's talk more about the details, though, because yeah. I think that is the thing. And I also want to caveat that you are one casting director and there are many casting directors yes. and they all have different yes. opinions. And yes. that is probably, for me, actually, and I imagine for many, the hardest part about all of this, where it's like yes. one size is not one size fits all. It's right, really right. not. Yes. And this is yes. for producers. This is for directors. This is for choreographers. This is for any collaborator that you will ever yes. work with. But arguably, if the casting director is the person that you are trying to be seen for to get through to the thing. It's hard yes. to like take one advice and put it to all the things because you're only going to hear a different thing the next time. And it's deeply yes. infuriating and I want to pull my eyeballs out from it. Yes. Yes. Anyway, yes. totally. with that totally. said, from your opinion, let's go into the self-taping actual technique stuff. Sure. Okay. Sure. So seeing and hearing, are you talking yes. mics or are you just talking silence nope. in a room? Are you talking a, like a ring light? Are you talking like, what, what are you meaning? Silence is one of those things that you're just never going to happen for you, Praise right? Me. It didn't have happen for us in our casting offices mm -hmm. either, right? Like you, you're only going to get like true silence on a soundstage. Like right. let's be real. So right? my dog, so, my dog whining in the back or there being like a small little like, you know, person brings garbage down the hallway. Does you're, not matter. Cool, cool, cool. It's, it's the distracting noises. It's the, the continuous noises. Um, let's say a, a, an ambulance with a siren on just parked itself outside your, your apartment. Yep. Yeah, that's distracting. Um, a, a weed whacker going on and off and on and off, which is probably not really an issue in Brooklyn. But, um, you know, stuff like that. You never um, know if somebody the, has something for, you know, different reasons. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Yep. Um, voices in the background are not that big of a deal as long as we can't understand what they're saying, right? Yeah. If we can hear full conversations going on, that can be a little distracting. But like I have I have kids, they're loud. I had I have a very funny story about my 5-year-old yelling. I was I was doing a Zoom audition and it was a, it was a really quiet scene. We were recording and the scene was ending. We were having the this actor and I was really connected and we were having this really quiet moment together. And my 5-year-old ran into the hallway right outside my office and goes, "I need to poop." And um <laughs> And the, it picked up on the recording as if you were in the room with me. Wow. I mean, you know, so, yep. you know, stuff like that, you know, that that can be a little distracting, but like a little wine from your animal, not that big of a deal. Um, a child in the next room or a child's um, TV show on in the next room where you can kind of hear bits and pieces, but can't totally make it out. Not a big deal. Okay. So again, the silence is not a thing. So so the, the seeing and hearing really means that we need to be able to see your face and eyes clearly. That is the thing. A lot of the nuance of your performance that we're picking up exists in the upper portion of your face around your eyes, right? For your podcast listeners, I'm pointing between like my nose and, and the middle of my forehead. Yes. Um, that's where it exists. So if you have a frame that's too wide, you've got great lights, you've got mics, whatever, but your frame is too wide, we can't see your face clearly enough, that's not going to work, yeah. right? Um, so your frame is the number one thing. From there, it doesn't matter how you achieve the rest of it, right? So people are like, oh, I have to get a fancy ring light so I don't have shadows. Who cares? 
mm-hmm. as long as those shadows aren't so overwhelming that we're missing the little nuance in in the movement around your eyes you know the little lines the way your you know your your facial muscles move it's fine okay. right so if you need to simply use natural light and redirect some lamps cool um for sound again most people these days i mean gratefully i suppose since we're spending so much money on these um um, you have an amazing camera in your pocket right Mm -hmm. with your phone um but to get the frame that you need for your self-tape where we can see your face clearly enough your device is going to be somewhat close to you which means that that mic is going to pick up what you need it to pick up so can you buy things to help you? Sure, of course. Unless you want to self-tape at midnight and you don't have natural light, right? Buy a light, right? So there are things you can buy there. You can buy a backdrop, you can buy a light, you can buy a mic, you can can buy that stuff, but you don't have to. For me, the only thing that I I always recommend to actors to purchase, and it's not even an expensive investment, it can be like 15 bucks, is a tripod for your camera or phone. Mm -hmm. That will save your sanity more than anything else. Yeah. So, so that is great, but you, you know, there, there are other ways you can invest. I I have an actor friend who invested in a little remote control for her camera. So she doesn't have to constantly get up and press the button. Mm -hmm. She just clicks this little thing, right? That was a choice that she decided to make to make her life easier. Um, the, I always tell actors, you don't need to have a backdrop. You, you can get one if you're like, I don't want to have to rearrange all the art on my walls. I don't want to have to paint a wall, whatever. So they want to invest in a backdrop. Cool fine, but that's not what we're hiring you for. Right. Right. We're hiring you for the acting. And we, so we simply need to be able to see the acting clearly and hear you clearly. The, and whatever that looks like for you is fine. Truly, truly. Okay. What about the reader situation? Obviously it's a touchy moment, but yes. for many of us who don't have, you know, who maybe live alone or don't have sure. a partner or don't, you know, have access to, uh, you know, a scene partner because you're not in class with people or whatever it is, um, and you're dealing with a Zoom moment, do you have preferences about any of that? No, no. First of all, we're all quite used to the sound of virtual readers, right? Right. We all got used to it in 2020. Totally. Um, Also, I think Zoom has evolved so much in the last three years where there's even not that much of an internet lag. There was, you know, there was a time where it was it's questionable, I would yeah. say. Um, but it's not even that bad anymore. So so I, I'm all for virtual readers. I think that's a, the, the easiest, most consistent way to go. Even if you have somebody who lives with you, you don't always want to use that person. You're going to strain that relationship, yeah. right? Whether sure. they're a, a partner, a roommate, a spouse or whatever, yeah. um, a parent. Um, so, so I, I'm totally down with virtual readers and, and now I have, there, there's all kinds of discussion. Um, there's a certain casting office, um, down here in the Southeast that has been advising actors to use live readers, um, saying that their, their producers tend to, um, gravitate toward those reads. And like, that is that person's experience. Mm-hmm. In my experience, my producers don't care. My producers have not cared at all. Um, I do. We do a lot of recording over Zoom ourselves, right? We do those recordings in producer callbacks, chemistries, whatever, where we are recording via Zoom. Um, I do work sessions with actors that might need a little tweak here or there. I'm recording via Zoom. So we're already using those recordings to get people jobs. Mm-hmm. So I don't see why that has to be different than somebody's self-tape. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. Um, so 
I, I was talking with, you know, when everything kind of came up with all the articles and things like that. And, you know, we were all sort of speaking out about it um, and being like, casting doesn't want you to do this. Casting wants blah, 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 blah. You know, we were trying to sort of, we were sort of speaking absolutes, right? Because mm -hmm. we were trying to clear the air. And one of, an actor who I really respect reached out to me and she was like, what you're saying is nice. And I think that that is something that you do really abide by, but a lot of us have had the opposite experience with casting directors, yeah. particularly these one, these specific people. And, you know, she showed me something, some language on, on somebody's eco-cast instructions and whatever. And that was a moment where I was like, okay, I, I cannot, as you sort of very rightly pointed out, cannot simply speak for my entire craft. I have to just simply yeah. say, this is my opinion. This is how I feel about it. Um, and I would say the majority of casting directors, the goal for us is simply to see and, and hear you clearly. Yeah. And there are a handful of casting offices who are saying, no, we want the most professional tape you could possibly send us. Yeah. And I get that and I get it. But what I would say is treat those experiences as the exception, not the rule. Okay. So don't take the experience that you're, that, you know, the, the maybe extra effort that you're doing for those specific roles or auditions and put it onto all of your auditions because yeah. it's not necessary for all of your auditions. So that's what I would say is, is, is be mindful of the ones that are, that are asking you to do a certain thing, or maybe even requiring you to do a certain thing. And, and don't assume that applies to all of us. Yeah. What about the narrative of, which it's, I understand it. And I also think it's a bit harmful in some way of just be a good actor or <laughs> just focus on the craft or focus on the work, which in some ways is actually undermining the exact thing that the actor is doing because now you're in your head about being a good actor and doing the craft and doing the work. Like, uh -huh. Right. So what about that narrative when it's like, just do, just be a good actor, just do sure. the work. Well, well, and I, you know, I think that that's where, um, self-taping has, has really sort of taken a, a toll, I would say. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're, the actors down here in the Southeast, they, they've been self-taping for a decade or mm -hmm. more. So, so they did not have a major learning curve when the pandemic hit, but actors in New York and LA mostly did, I would say, because even if they had self-taped previously, they maybe hadn't learned to do it on their own. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so it was, it, it was a major learning curve. And I think in that learning curve, you're spending so much time learning this new technique, including all of the things that go with it, the, the, the tech stuff, mm -hmm. the editing, the, you know, how do I do this at all? How do I, how do I ask a friend to help me? Yeah. How do, you know, how all of this, it's, it's a lot. Um, and I, and I understand that. And I think the focus in that learning experience shifted from the acting part to getting this new technique right. Right. Um, and what casting directors are trying to say now, and I, you know, I am one who says this, I, I'm all about the work a hundred percent. We're trying to say, okay, you've all learned how to do this. Now you have, I, in my classes that I teach, I teach um, audition technique classes, which of course are largely self tape classes. Um, I rarely have to comment on anybody's technical stuff anymore. Mm -hmm. Almost never. So, so that's the thing is that you, you all have learned how to do this. You know how to do it from a technical side. Now we want you to get back to the thing that is 
what we're hiring you for. We want you to focus on the act and we want you to focus on the work. We don't want you to think forever and ever about your backdrop color. We want, you know, we want you to be able to play. We want you to find the joy in performing because yeah. that is so appealing. Yeah. Um, and did you always enjoy auditioning in person? No, <laughs> let's be real, yeah. right? There's all kinds of stress that goes around with that. You sit in the waiting room, you can hear what everybody before you is doing. That's not useful. You know, there, there's, there were all kinds of, again, pros and cons to both. Um, but I think you can all start to trust the fact that you really do know how to self-tape from a technical side. Now, how can you have fun doing it? Yeah. And I think some people are not ready to have fun. It still feels very onerous. And at, you know, at this point, they're wondering why they still have to do it. And, and so there, there's no joy in it. And that is, that's, that's a bummer. That's a bummer for everybody. So, so really, you know, we're wanting you to find the, the enjoyment of your craft, the enjoyment of performing, the enjoyment of creating a character and digging deep, um, and really connecting to it because that's, that's what we want to see. That's what we've always gone for. The tech, you know, bad tech can get in the way of that, which is why it was so important to learn how to manage um, the tech side of self-taping. Um, but we really do want to see you get to play. We want that to be the main focus of your tape more than yeah. anything else. What about those people who aren't getting the auditions that they want or they're not getting as many auditions? What do you recommend for those people who are not feeling the muscle used as much and or the pressure when one comes in every couple of months that's like oh god this one has to work because i've only gotten this one sure well you got to practice right you have to you have to sort of um be able to fail when there's no stakes yeah so you can you, so certainly you could take a class but you can do it on your own easily do it on your own every single day plan to tape something it does not have to be a five page scene it can be a half a page scene yeah. but but get in front of your camera set up your stuff and press record and do it every single day so that way when one does come in a real one comes in you aren't thinking like oh my muscle has atrophied how yeah. i gotta warm it back up you're thinking great Let's do it. Yeah. It's no different than anything else. It is no different than anything else, except that maybe this time you're sending it somewhere. Yeah. You know, you just want to make sure that you're practicing. I'm curious if you have different tricks, and obviously this is like a quick question, but like different tricks for when somebody's called in for a co-star versus a guest star versus a series regular, or if it's just mm. simply tuning into how you break down this text and arguably there's probably more text to be breaking down. Sure. Well, it, start, it starts. It totally starts with breaking down the text. Of course, mm -hmm. Every, you know, no matter what size your role is, yep. you want you 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 need to use some script analysis skills and, and break down the text for sure. That is the the first and foremost. But the the difference um, between them is largely what's there on the page versus what isn't. Mm -hmm. Right. So for co stars, they're so undefined. Um, we're looking for you to bring them to life right? We're not looking for you to make them all about yourself. We're simply looking for you to bring them to life. Mm -hmm. um, whereas with guest stars, guest stars are much more clearly drawn. Um, they're not going to change too dramatically from the text that you have to what you're going to do on set. They, yeah, they'll change. But like, if, if they're a guest star, they're a major part of that episode. Yeah. And they're not going to change too much. They are, they're uh, much more clear. There's more there for you to work with. Um, 
and you can kind of really, really use what's there and dig in and trust that that that's what you're bringing to life is, is what's right there in front of you. Series regulars are so much about us falling in love with an actor that we're going to want to see on our screens for seven years, mm-hmm. right? And so what you are doing with what's there on the page, it really is a is a framework. It's an important framework, of course. Um, and you want to make sure that you're matching tone and stuff like that. But but we, we're dying to see your take on this character. Mm-hmm. How can you imbue yourself into this character? How can you connect with this character? Because that is going to be the thing that makes us interested and intrigued. Um, you know, with series regulars, of course, they're, you know, clearly drawn and pitched to the network and, you know, all of these things, but they change. They, they can change depending on the actor. Um, it's happened for me on multiple projects where, where this is what the type that we're looking for and they go with somebody sort of just right or left of that type because that was the most interesting person. And then they sort of shift some of the character and the dialogue to fit that person because mm-hmm. they love the person. So, so with each of them there, the way you come at them is a little bit different. I would say co-stars and series regulars are, are more aligned with each other in that way than guest stars and series regulars. Guest stars, like I said, are, are much more, um, firm in what they're, you know, how, how, by the time you, you receive it to audition, that is largely what the character is going to look like, right? Co-stars. They're not that clear. They're a little bit murky. There is a believability to them that we need to have because they're on screen for such a short amount of time. So they are rooted in something really meaningful there and you have to sort of bring them back to life from that. Mm -hmm. But with series regulars, similarly, they're going to be rooted in something, whether it's, it's, it's a job that they do that they're really good at or, um, um, you know, a personality type or whatever. But then the producers just simply want to fall in love and find somebody really interesting who can make this character even more fun, interesting human than they ever imagined it could be. And then write to that person. Yeah. Do you have any tricks or things that you feel you've seen over the years that have made you be like, oh yeah, these are the types of things that are making people ace their auditions? Or is it more just like, they just brought themselves and they really made the text their own. It's it's really about trusting your craft. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times actors, because again, you're not getting feedback and, yeah. and I realize that's hard. So so without the feedback, you some actors just kind of spiral and they're like, I didn't get that thing. Okay, let me just try something in this tape. And you kind of start to throw your instincts out the window a little bit. So the people who tend to succeed are truly comfortable in their instincts, in the in their in their muscle. Yeah. Right. Um, they're confident in their choices because they've done their text homework. They're comfortable in their bodies because they have figured out how to be fully alive in this small box. Um, you know, all of that stuff is, is meaningful. Um, that's what sort of really stands out. The people, it's the same thing that stood out in a live audition, connection, listening, presence, breathing, energy, it's the exact same things. It's the things that you know how to do, but are really easy to forget as you're trying to manage your lights and direct your reader and make sure you get this uploaded on time and, you know, all of that other stuff. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, now that you have mastered the tech part, 
yes, you still have some stress that you're dealing with around deadlines and, and readers and things like that. And, you know, how quickly can you, can you learn this material, but you have to go back to your instrument. That is the thing that we're always going to gravitate towards. And it's the thing that is going to make people want to hire you Yeah. above how above all else above how beautiful your tape looks above your gorgeous sound and your almost no background noise and whatever <laughs> that's not the thing it's it is the acting and it's it is just really easy to not let that be the priority when you've got all this other stuff that you're thinking about yeah. when you're self-taping yeah as we wind down our time is there anything that is on your heart or mind that you want a listener to know? I mean, I, you know, I've, I've said this before and I, I, I try to reiterate this as much as possible um, on social media too, but like casting directors really are on your side. Um, you know, it is, it is, like I said, it's so easy to forget that we are your collaborators and we are your cheerleaders. And I understand that. And it can feel like, in fact, we are your taskmasters when we're giving you all of these instructions and you're never hearing from us. And I understand all, I understand the feelings a hundred percent. I understand them. Um, but we are speaking your names all day long. We are staring at your faces all day long. We are selling you to our producers, to our executives, to our other casting friends all day long. Um, I spend, I told somebody recently, I spend more time working with and speaking to actors um, than I do with my own children. <laughs> so, so, you know, we, we really are, we are there and it's really easy to forget that it's easy to think that, you know, somebody in our office is doing that work and it's not us, it's us, you know, um, and the way each cast director, you know, manages that process and works with their staff, of course, is unique to them. And, you know, we will just leave that at that, mm -hmm. but we cannot be in this job without loving actors. We spend our entire, our entire days are about you. Yeah. So if you can remember that on the other side of the internet is somebody who's rooting for you, somebody who's cheering you on. If we're asking you to audition, we're excited to see your take on it. If you can remember that, hopefully that can help you reconnect with some of the joy of the process. Yeah. And I understand it's hard and I totally empathize with it. I totally empathize with it, but we are here and we are excited about you. We're excited to see what you can do with it. For anybody who wants to follow along with your journey, but honestly, just to like really get tons and tons and tons of info, where can people find you, work with you, reach out, all of those sure. things? So I am largely these days on Instagram. Um, I am still technically on Twitter, although Twitter is just, you know, yeah. going, mm -hmm. you know, it's yeah. a special um, hellscape right now. Um, so in, on, on both Instagram and Twitter, you can find me at um, Erica S. Bream Cast. Um, my whole thing on Instagram is that I am going for as much transparency as possible. I want you all to know what the process is like. I want you to know the things that you don't know. Um, I want to answer questions. And that is what I aim to do with that. Yeah. Um, I have a website. You can also reach me through my website, which is ericasbreamcasting.com. You can find me there too. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm me and my thumbs are on Instagram more than anything else. So Thank you so much for this. I had so many questions that I didn't even get to because I'm I was so sorry. Like, no, it's not, no. This was this is exactly what it needed to be. I just I have I'm just my brain is like 
full of them. And so this is just the beginning. And I'm so grateful to you for taking this time away from your sick little young ones and also <laughs> your job. <laughs> um, Thank you. Arguably, Thank you this is, of course, this is hopefully going to um, demystify and clarify and um, continue bringing forward more joy into yeah. um, an actor's process. So thank you so, so much for being in this space. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for encouraging empowered artists. Thank That's you. what we're here for, right? Yes. If you liked this episode, and more importantly, if you enjoy this podcast, it would mean the most to us if you would A, share an episode, perhaps this one, with a friend or a loved one, and B, like, rate, follow, and review us. This allows us to continue reaching other humans who want to be engaging in these types of conversations as well. If you did not like this episode or you don't like this podcast, just let it all slide. If you are not yet doing so, please follow us on Instagram at Empowered Artist Collective, on TikTok at Empower Artist Collective, more on our website at empoweredartistcollective.com. If you are seeking some inspirational merchandise and some really cool fun things, you can find the link for merchandise in our show notes. And if you are wanting to be kept more in the loop, we have a wonderful mailing list you can get on there in our show notes as well. As always, I am so, so grateful that you keep on coming back and we will be back again next week. Until then.